Episode 11, A Big Heart and the Big Move. It's 1955, and with Detroit's population shift, sadly, many residents panicked and moved to the suburbs, hence the white flight. Our mother said she was content because she already had the home of her dreams and welcomed all her new neighbors. Then, a phenomenon happened. Their pastor at St. Catherine's, Monsignor Donnelly, became a bishop and was transferred to St. Matthew's, a very vibrant parish. In only one year, 1,800 families had moved from St. Catherine's Parish. Bishop Donnelly asked our father to join him at St. Matthew's. Hmm. Mother realized the handwriting was on the wall and called a Gross Point realtor to help her find a house large enough for 15 children. She thought, how odd that they never returned her calls. Our parents drove around, but most of the homes were ranch style. One day, they were driving around with our brother Kevin, number 13, and he asked, hey, where do people who live in ranch houses go to bed? When the twins were only five months old, Mother becomes pregnant. Teresa Maureen, number 16, not just a number, was born on March 26, 1955. Mother said that she was an adorable armful. Per usual, the baptism had to be two weeks later. But why? Why so soon? Well, the church commanded it so. It didn't matter if the mother was still weak or still losing blood. Ever faithful, our parents followed the dictates of the church. Three days after the baptism, Teresa had the sniffles and congestion, so Mother called Dr. Henderson, and he came by. Yes, in those days, he came to the house. He checked her out and prescribed Neo Silva and told Mother to put the drops in her nose four times a day, which she did. Wednesday, she seemed the same. On Thursday, she was lethargic. On Friday, she refused the bottle and seemed oddly cold. Mother knew something was very wrong. She called Dr. Robinson next door. He came right over, and when he saw Teresa, he asked if Mother had any whiskey. Yes, they had some left over from Christmas. He poured some whiskey down Teresa's throat and said, she must go to Children's Hospital immediately. At the door of the hospital, someone took Teresa from our mother's arms and left. Our parents stood in line to talk to the doctor, a Dr. Donnelly. Oh, he said that Teresa was desperately ill and probably would not make it through the night, but he promised that he would stay by her side. He told mother to go home, but said she could call him. She did just that. Mother sat on the floor in the breakfast room and called him every hour on the hour. Early the next morning, our parents rushed to the hospital. Teresa was in an incubator and breathing with great difficulty. They stormed the heavens, praying, praying, Our Father who art in heaven, Hail Mary, full of grace. Unexpectedly, on Sunday, they called from the hospital and said that they could come by and get Teresa. Obviously, our mother was very leery and nervous about bringing her home. Mother returned with Teresa for a visit with Dr. Donnelly the following week. He explained that Teresa had an enlarged heart, and the doctors wanted to check on her once a month. He first thought Teresa had pneumonia, but then decided that neosilva drops might have gotten into her lungs, and that caused the real trouble. Teresa started to recover. Thank you, Jesus. And all was well, except for that enlarged heart. When Teresa was a year old, mother went to a special meeting at Children's Hospital. They took Teresa for an x-ray, and after that, our mother was ushered into a room with several doctors sitting around a table. They were smiling. That was a good sign. They showed mother an x-ray of Teresa's enlarged heart when she was three weeks old, and then her most recent x-ray, which showed a perfectly sized heart. The doctors were pleased and proud, and Mother was ecstatic. Praise God. Mother and Dr. Donnelly became fast friends. 
He was an intern and told Mother that he was planning on setting up a practice as a pediatrician in Pontiac. Let's listen to our miracle baby sister, Teresa Maureen, number 16, not just a number, recall some of her earlier memories. So what uh, memories do you have of Nan O'Brien or Big Paul in Oswego? Well, just visiting their home was a treat. Mom was always so happy to bring her children. Nana being so sweet and shy. And Big Paul with his wonderful laugh and optimistic attitude. And I just really enjoyed the home and going upstairs and seeing where uh, Mom was born. It was just kind of a magical little home. Going to the downtown and Five and Dime and just shopping and going to trips to see Big Paul's sisters on the farm. That was so much fun. Anne, Helen, Agnes, I believe were the three were there. Lots of cats and animals and just a really great experience getting to know those little ladies. So I don't remember the farm. Would you pop? It seemed like a farm. It, it certainly was a lot of property and an old home. I was definitely a child for sure and just was, remember going out to an, a, bar, a bar near the house and cats and just animals being around. and. You know, a, a good adventure to have fun and meet Big Paul's sisters, you know? Yeah. It was just a good time. And of course, Aunt Anne. Oh, Aunt Anne. Yeah, she was so much fun. She was the biggest character. <laughs> <laughs> I remember her telling me that she had to lay a certain way her bed because when she died, her soul would raise the right way. I don't know if it was north, west, east, but it was it was, it was was memorable. I thought, wow. Okay. <laughs> she was the most Catholic person I ever met. So funny. Really, really cute. And um, I didn't really go to Swiggle that many times. I know Bridget did, but I remember the long ride there. I remember having picnics halfway at a road stop. Horrible music that dad and mom would play that I thought I was going to die and never. Interminable is yeah, what it was. The classic music. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know. Do you know if you were with anyone else? or was it I'm sure I was, and yet I can't really be sure who it was, but I want to say it was Joe. There was always at least three of us in that back back seat, but I'm not really sure. Visiting Nana Callahan and then being able to see Dad's brothers that lived so close by and Aunt Margaret, it, you know, because they were so removed from our family being in New York, a real treat to be able to get to know them. They didn't really talk too much about them. And so it was fun to uh, not only meet them, but to know that Dad had two brothers as priests, Aunt Margaret being a nurse, and I always wanted to be a nurse. And then their visits to our home were always great. Of course, Nana Callahan lived with us. She wasn't warm and fuzzy at all. She loved her embroidery and her soap operas, and that's about as much as I can say about her. But then when UJ lived with us, such a sweet man, that was interesting, and it's all awe-inspiring in retrospect to think that mom could take anyone in, let alone Nana Callahan, Uncle Jim. It was unprecedented that she could do that, and yet wonderful for them so they could get to know us. I would, I would imagine. And Franny Brown was always a treat. We so looked forward to her every Christmas. I appreciated her calm. She was so much more calm than Mom. She was a wonderful storyteller. Just, you know, really you could tell her bond to Mom was real, and she just loved our family so much. And her home unto itself was quite an experience. There was no, very little room to even walk. There was so much stuff. It was pretty overwhelming, and you didn't get in very far, but you could tell. She had a lot of books and a lot of everything. <laughs> and a lot of pictures of all of us, which was sweet. They were all over her piano. Oh, yeah, all, all the pictures of us kids there, I can remember that too. So, you know, we, I remember being able to explore a little bit downtown Oswego and to go to the fort and the theater that Franny started. That was pretty exciting. Pretty neat place, definitely. Oswego was really a cute little town and boy, did they know everybody's business. It was pretty amazing on the radio to hear the goings on of Oswego by name and what they did and all that stuff. It was, you know, they just knew everybody's business, that's for sure. Yeah, unique small town. Mm -hmm. I just remember that my first memory was opening the closet door in the, near the front door and it was all these Japanese ladies on and wallpaper. I remember nothing of living in the rectory or Iroquois or any of that, so Manor is my first memory. And I've always thought Manor Road is a magical road and I think of living there in terms of seasons. I just loved every, you know, all the seasons, fall and winter and spring and summer, and to have that acre of land and a dirt road with a river 
and a pond, and we would go ice skating in the winter, fish in the summer. I really liked all that outdoor stuff that we, we were exposed to, and I can't think of a better way to grow up. I mean, I really wish we could have those days back. Very simple times, and our life completely revolved around church and Holy Name. Going to Holy Name for eight years and always up our seasons revolved around Christmas, Easter, all those wonderful things that, you know, we we didn't have a choice in. I mean, mom and dad's expectations were quite high. Uh, you know, just like being in the choir, that all those things are just so founded and grounded in our faith that we live on today. There's no denying it because it, it, we just ate and slept it. We just lived it. And Holy Name was a good experience. I really loved it. And how about uh, as far as Holy Name uh, School, do you have a, a favorite memory or uh, or a teacher that you liked? Well, we both loved Sister Marie LaSue. She was a great teacher. Things that, that will pop up in my head is like, well, not only just going to classes and whatnot, but the playground, the cafeteria. Dad always being nearby, which wasn't always good. He couldn't get in trouble. I, I really enjoyed all my teachers. I don't recall having really a bad one, um, which I can't say for Marion. But this was a really great kids. I have no bad memories, that's for sure. I remember making my first communion. I remember being nervous going for my first confession. Wouldn't be able to tell you what I said. Confirmation, Joe had scared me that the bishop was gonna slap me hard on my face. So I worried about that day. Who was your, do you remember who your confirmation sponsor was? With Celeste. And your name was Eleanor, right? Eleanor, for Eleanor, yeah. So Brian Celeste. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I, I picked know. Celeste because I thought she was the coolest and you know, sister-in-law I ever, you know, she was just so much fun. And glamorous. And glamorous, she was. Right. So that I thought she was the best. I was very proud to take Eleanor's name. Yeah, it was wonderful to make those sacraments. I think they should be revisited in respect to how young you really are to take on the full impact of what communion is about. But it is the Catholic way. And I loved the fact that Dad was um, the organist. We went to Mass every day. Uh, the little plays that we would put on with Mrs. Carey. And I had one line in a play and I never said it. Now, um, how about Marion? I know you weren't fond, but do you, uh, probably Kathy Coughlin, is she one of your biggest memories? Well, yeah. Um, the, yeah. Your girlfriends are real important, especially when you're going to an all-girls school. Right. Yeah, Kathy Coughlin and Mary Jane Knapp and Pam Reason and all those girls. It went by fast. I really only went to the school for three years. I ended up graduating November of 73. I was in a hurry to get out of there so I could have nine months to wait just full-time in order to be able to afford college. Marion was awful because I felt very robbed by the fact none of the guys I had been with eight years were in my classrooms anymore. And I just thought it really abnormal to be with just all girls. Yeah, I waitress at Albans five to nine. It wasn't long, but, you know, we didn't even get out of school to three. But, yeah, pretty much a couple weekdays and then on weekends. And that was a really fun job and very eye-opening. We had just been totally raised with all Catholic, white, Irish people at Albans. You had many Jewish and all kinds of nationalities. And so it was wonderful to get to know the people that I worked with. It was a fun job. So that was okay, but it really, it wasn't easy, obviously, to be doing that and then do well in school, to be able to, you know, go to school and then waitress and manner being what it was, where there was never a real place to uh, study, per se, pretty loud. So that wasn't a good thing, but we got through it. How about walking home? We walked everywhere our whole life, and that is another thing that I really think is, would be nice to have again in our day-to-day. -day. Nobody walks really anywhere very much. So yeah, we did. We walked to Birmingham, we walked to Holy Name, we walked to Auburn. And yeah, every time you went by Poppleton Park, it would be a little bit jarring. Like you would, I would feel like somebody was going to jump out. Of course, no one ever did. But I felt the same thing. And then mom and dad had so much trust in us doing this kind of activity. And it just was, those, those were the days. It, no one really, really worried about that. So, yeah. And then after Albans, when I did graduate from Marion, I worked full-time at IHOP for nine months. And that was allowed me to have enough money to go to Ferris State. Yeah, I, I guess some of my more favorite memories at Manor would be two things. Would be our every night dinner. It was like a, a in, entertainment tonight. I mean, there was so much going on. And everyone had a lot to say, and that was nice. And if you got in trouble, you had to sit by dad. I didn't have to do that too many times, but they were long dinners and they were good. They were, it was amazing that that happened every night, that mom was able to pull off a dinner every night. Pretty amazing. For that many. You know, and, oh, and then I loved doing, we would go outside when it was nice and do kick the can and 
And that's when in the day when neighbors were around. They aren't anymore. The kids you could play with would be out and about and have fun. There was a lot of responsibility at our home. We were meant to be home right after school if you weren't waitressing. And when you got home, you had plenty of chores. So your life was busy and scheduled for you um, 24-7. Pretty um, amazing in that respect. Not a lot of uh, freedom to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. But all good. It's how it works. That's how 18 kids do grow up in one house. Just growing up, just, you know, becoming, trying to figure out who you are and getting your driver's license, getting your first car, going away to college. Do you remember your first car? Oh yeah, it was a Falcon. Your husband helped me find it from an old lady that had it sitting in a garage forever. It was like increments of freedoms that you could obtain, which involved getting your license, a car, going away to college, and kind of breaking away from that family mold of just very strong ties, let's put it that way. Yeah. No, mom and not dad. Mom always made it, let us know that we were certainly not rich. I think uh, when I think of the kids that I went to school with at Holy Name, that was never an issue. I mean, never an issue for them because kids are kids. And they're not going to think about that that much. Right. And if you're all wearing a uniform, you know, even there, there was signals that obviously I did not have a new uniform. At very, I had very few pleats in my uniform. You know, they were old. But even that wasn't an issue. No, I never, ever remember being made fun of. But again, those are the, those were their expectations. Dad and Mom, I think, expect particularly Dad moved to Manor Road, obviously with the light of knowing Brother and Rice and Marion would be available to his children, and we were going to go. I think we got away with more. Well, I know we got away with more as being the youngest of the family than certainly the older. I can't even imagine being a part of a family orchestra or playing masses or doing all these things that were expected of our elders. It's just, I can't even, I can't even go there. I can't even imagine what that was like. And that's why I'm excited about this podcast, to learn about their thoughts and ideas and where they were raised. Because literally the first nine kids were raised on the east side and we were raised at Big Beaver and Woodward. Well, even just think of the different discipline that you, I, and Joe had compared to Bridget. You know, Bridget, there was no discipline, nothing, zero. Got away with that was it. And we just kind of watched and okay. Wow. Some of it was just survival of the fittest. You know, you had so many kids and, what well, you, know, you know, there was always a drama or something going on. But that was all right. That was life. And we, I can't imagine kids even having to deal with, let alone understand what that was like mm -hmm. today. Yeah. You know. It was a different time. Yeah, we had to stay together and survive. I mean, we did. I, yeah, I think uh, I like to say the greatest gift mom and dad gave us was each other. Mm -hmm. That we, there's such a bond. Yeah. We did raise each other. And we're so much stronger for it. I mean, we became strong individuals uh, to, to be able to handle things at a much younger age, I think, than most. So um, what are your favorite memories of Dad? Of Dad? Uh, it's, it's really young on, we would always comb his hair. He'd be sitting in his wingback chair, giving him presents on his birthday, which would be a wrapped up book from the library. His walks with him, he would squeeze your hand so tight you'd think it would break. He would walk with us to Holy Name like that. And just being on that organ, boy, I can see him right now. Just those feet going crazy and playing. Loved his job. That's what I think was so great. Remembering Dad is how much he loved his work. It wasn't work. It was, he loved it. It was his, And he said he loved the organ because it was like having an orchestra right in front of his hand. All those good things. Obviously much quieter than Mom. You know, he didn't, wasn't big on talking. And unfortunately, <laughs> it wasn't until... Into well into my 20s that I really ever saw the man smile. He was worked so hard, and so he was pretty exhausted when it came to dinner time. Not that he missed a trick. He was there for the count uh, every dinner. Really not a lot about conversation. Loved gardening. He did a great job with that. Just his loves of books and music and gardening and his family, and those were his interests, and they stayed true to the end. Now, let's go to 1958. It was a 24-hour life of chores. Unending work. Oh, Mother did say, though, that Mary, yours truly, Joseph and Teresa were very good, very fascinating, and full of fun. You know, Joseph, my twin, and I often refer to the three of us as triplets. We are very close to this very day. And we love our Teresa dearly. Okay, back to Iroquois. 
The carpeting at 3811 was wearing so thin that the last time Margaret and Mother scrubbed it on their hands and knees, their knuckles actually bled. Crazy. Our father had an organ student, Frank Janik, who received his undergrad and master's degree from the University of Michigan. Monsignor Paddock, the pastor at Holy Name Church in the northern suburb of Birmingham, had an opening for an organist and music director. Monsignor called our father for a recommendation. Our father immediately recommended his student, Frank. He got the job. Well, taking care of St. Bernard's, St. Catherine's, St. Edward's, St. Margaret Mary Parishes, along with Marygrove teaching, choral work at two high schools, private lessons, and maintaining an organ repertoire was all beginning to really take its toll on our father. Mother said he never griped, he never complained. He just kept on working, nonstop. The food bills kept growing, the light, heat, and house payments increased. Again, at times, our father would have to go a week early to ask for his paycheck, just to keep afloat. One day, when things were really getting grim, one of the nuns at St. Catherine's, Sister Mary Frederick, called and asked if we could help her, her out. They had an excess of food, and could we use any of it? Well, is the Pope Catholic? Our father brought home fresh beets and carrots, potatoes. Mother said that one of the perks of being visible Catholics is to know the nuns. All her life, Mother loved being with nuns because she said they could find joy and fun in the little things. Frank Janik, the organist at Holy Name, was in a serious accident in Paris and needed to recover there for at least six months. Monsignor Paddock called and asked if our father may have any interest. So, our parents drove out to Birmingham to check out the church. It was a new and modern church. The windows were pentagon-shaped and had beautiful stained glass. Unfortunately, the organ was terrible, especially compared to the beautiful instrument our father enjoyed at St. Catherine's, a three-manual affair with well-chosen stops, a treat for the ear, and especially conducive to Bach. The town of Birmingham reminded our parents very much of Oswego, a small community with a quaint downtown. When Mother saw that they had an adequate Kresge's, she was smitten. Oh, our parents pleaded with the Holy Spirit to guide them in their decision. After much deliberation and prayer, our parents decided to try Holy Name for a year. Our father would commute every day. The people seemed nice. Our father had a lovely men's choir, a fine boys' choir, and a burgeoning women's choir. In the meantime, our family got their home on Iroquois ready to sell. Anyone who has moved knows what a miserable job it is. And our mother said just remembering it would bring tears to her eyes. Well, our father brought home the news that the priests at Holy Name were moving from the rectory to a house around the corner. We could live at the rectory on Greenwood free of charge. The offices could be used for extra bedrooms, Mother said etched on one of the walls was even a painting of the road to Amos, with Jesus revealing himself to the apostles after the resurrection. There was a good kitchen, an adequate dining room. The only appliance needed was a refrigerator. Now, just try to visualize a baby at one and a half, Teresa at two and a half, the twins at three and a half, Kevin at four and a half, Christopher at six, and so on and so on. Anne, Patricia, and Claire were good sports. Anne, Bill, and Ed would be in grades six, seven, and eight. Kathy would be able to commute to Immaculata High School in Detroit and start her freshman year. Brian would be a junior and James Patrick a senior at the Shrine of the Little Flower High School. Paul was a freshman at Siena College in New York, where Uncle Chud, Father Patrick, was on the faculty. John was still in the seminary, and Margaret was at Marygrove. The night before the big move, our parents went to buy a refrigerator. As they approached the store, Mother felt a, a severe sharp pain in her head, 
but went in anyway. Mother could see the refrigerator, but couldn't focus. She said, Jack, something is really wrong with me. We have to leave. As soon as she got in the car to head home, she started to hemorrhage. At home, it became even worse, so off to the hospital they went. She really thought she was dying because there was so much blood. Mother started to pray to herself in Latin, Miserere nobis, miserere nobis. Dr. Henderson came to the hospital. He had been with my mother for all those years with her deliveries and really cared about her welfare. They started to get mother blood transfusions, and all that night the nurse stood by her, checking up on her. Of course, mother knew all the nurses in the hospital as they looked forward to her annual visits. Our father came to the hospital the next morning and asked how the bed should be arranged in the new house. Mother tried feebly to say which mattresses went with which springs. Slowly but surely, our mother's mind began to clear. The next morning, a doctor came into the room and said, Well, I bet you will be relieved. You had a miscarriage. Mother was stunned that he had the nerve to say such a thing. Her doctor, Dr. Henderson, came in then and explained that when there is a miscarriage, their protocol was to call in another doctor. Well, she told him the other doctor's comments. The next morning, the other doctor came in the room and hemmed and hawed and finally said, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry for what I said, Mrs. Callahan. I owe you an apology. Please accept it. Well, our father picked up our beautiful mother from the hospital. She was never able to say goodbye to 3811 Iroquois, but went directly to the new house in Birmingham. The neighbors were wonderful. So many of them looked after the children, sent food, and shaped things up for them. Good Christian action. Mother was in the house for just a few hours, and there was a knock on the door. It was Monsignor Paddock, a six-foot-three white-haired priest in a beretta and a cassock with red trimming. He said, I came to say hello. Well, thank you for calling, Mother replied. Oh, by the way, tell your husband he must pay rent because of the taxes. Whoa, what a blow. Mother felt humiliated and was already so vulnerable, hurting, and lonesome for 3811 Iroquois. The first thing Mother did on Greenwood was to call Dr. Donnelly. Remember he was the one who remained all night with Teresa when she was so desperately ill? He did set up a practice in Pontiac, about a 10-minute drive from Birmingham. Mother asked if he would like 11 or more new patients. He laughed right out loud because he knew who was calling. He gave mother the location, and he became a key person in our lives. Let's listen to our brother, James Patrick, number four, and his memories of the big move. It was a rectory, it was, it was, uh, and it was right on the parking lot, and there was no privacy, there was no... Um, How did it even fit everybody? It didn't really. I mean... We weren't there all that long couple years? Maybe two years, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. My memories of uh, the move from Detroit to Birmingham are not good ones. I was uh, frustrated by what had occurred uh, prior to that. I, I attended three high schools. Uh, first of all, a year and a half at the seminary that I didn't want to be there for sure. Then I was um, a year and a half at St. Catharines. I had been president of the junior class. I would have been the president of my senior class. So what happened is I was enrolled at uh, Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak, as was uh, uh, Brother Brian. And it, uh, we were uh, fish out of water, I, I would say. Uh, it's, it was such an entirely different venue. A lot of the kids uh, had cars. We never had cars, you know, in the old neighborhood. Uh, I was not interested in changing schools at all. But uh, life goes on, and you deal with what uh, you have to do. But the adjustment factor was, uh, I'm, you know, like I said, a fish out of water. 
It was just completely different. I used to drive back and forth before we actually moved to Birmingham with Dad. Uh, and uh, we would listen to WJR on the way to the, his first mass at uh, Holy Name, which I think was at 6.30. So we'd get the farm report. I can remember listening to the farm report on WGR when they were still doing those kind of things. And then uh, he would drop me off, Dad would drop me off at, uh, at Holy Name. And then I had some time to kill before school started at Shrine. So I would generally either hitchhike or walk from uh, Holy Name to uh, Shrine High School. Uh, I was uh, very well received. I mean, the, the people at uh, Shrine were very, very nice, and I made some, some very close friends in a very short period of time. And uh, I also uh, took every possibility to uh, get back to the east side because I uh, missed tremendously my girlfriend, Eleanor, uh, subsequently my wife and mother of three of my four children. And the most interesting event that I had at one point, I borrowed a buddy's car from Shrine. Like I said, a lot of them had cars. And I was driving over to the east side, not knowing Dad was coming in the opposite direction. So at the corner of Van Dyke and uh, I think Outer Drive, as we were sitting there, I looked up, and he looked up at the same time. He was heading north, I was heading south, and, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, so, yes, indeed, I was busted. So, how were things different from the east side? The clothing was different. The social patterns were different. I spent as little time as possible at Shrine. At, that's, let, let's, let it lay at that, I guess. And I was not happy to have made this this move, and that's that. I, that's all I think I care to say on that. Well, how old were you when we moved? I turned uh, 17 in February of 1959, and I just spent the one year because you know I matriculated, uh, and I had most of my credits already. I can remember very specifically being in chemistry with a beautiful older nun who uh, was in the process of dying of cancer. And uh, she was uh, very, very special. It seems like a very brutal time, James P. I just didn't want to be there. I couldn't play ball. That was a, a complication. So that move was, was, was not, a, not a pleasant memory. Now... Let's listen to Mary Kathleen, Kathy, number six, share her memories of the big move. I had double feelings. I left my best friend. That was so hard. Uh, Judy and I had known each other since preschool, and so I missed her. But I also liked the fact that I wasn't from the big family for quite a while because I was the only one. I didn't have any siblings going to Immaculata with me. I had some freedom to grow up a little bit. I had to take two buses to get to Immaculata because we didn't. I had to find my way on another bus to get wow. to Immaculata. It was my first taste of independence. And then I never had any siblings with me all through high school. And, but I loved looking out the windows on the buses and seeing this whole new part of the city. And yeah, Immaculata and was a stressor because I went from very a true neighborhood school, which had its own character. And then I went to a, a large school okay. of just girls mm. in the bigger urban setting. He carpooled and a lot of times when I was at Marygrove, I had one-on-one -on -one time because he would teach those nuns and I could sit way in the back and listen to dad, you know, do with the, the organ teaching. So he, it was very, he was wonderful with them. And they didn't talk much. I mean, then they, they really weren't didn't. Allowed. They weren't allowed. And, um, but that, that was another add-on for Dad to get income. That year was the only year I was aware of this financial, you know, so. And how old were you, Kathy? You I remember? was a freshman in high school. Okay. I was 12 turning 13. We got a huge bag of rice from someplace. 
Yeah, because obviously the food was not, you know, and that was because dad was getting no mortgage payment for the house in Detroit. And that what really stunned me is I know that dad had to go to court. He didn't really want to evict them, but I think they had two years of free rent and dad was swallowing. And then even there weren't enough rooms to sleep in, um, you know, for each of us in the rectory, we didn't really have enough privacy. That wasn't right. That was very difficult. That was the first time I realized, whoa, this isn't all cotton candy stuff. Now here is Edward Dennis, number seven, sharing his memories of the big move. The Iroquois changed dramatically between the time I was 11 and 13. And that's the time when uh, a lot of construction for the highways occurred. It displaced a lot of African-Americans and they, they moved. And uh, that changed the neighborhood uh, dramatically. I don't think dad really wanted to move, but he understood that they had to, especially when they transferred Bishop Donnelly out of St. Catharines. You know, St. Catharines at one time had five full-time priests, five or six masses a day. Dad wanted to go with Bishop Donnelly to St. Matthew's. Mm-hmm. Mom and Dad couldn't find a house that they were comfortable with. The houses that were big enough were in Gross Point, and Gross Point had their own point system. And that we wouldn't qualify for the point system in uh, Gross Point. I don't know what that means, point system. The point system was to keep people out, keep blacks out, keep minorities out. Having all these kids was considered unacceptable from a social I got you. standpoint. That was the point system. I got you. Yeah. Not an, It was an unspoken point system. Right. Okay, I got you. So, the, the, so we went to Holy Name. Being 13 years old, I came from the Lower East Side. It was different. It was very different. You know, my days on the East Side were, you know, work, school, play, sports, over and over again. And when I came to Birmingham, they dressed differently. I didn't realize why they would be dating at such a young age. I always thought that dating occurred when you were in high school or, you know, junior or senior in high school, but there were parties, co-ed parties when I moved to uh, Birmingham. I don't think I actually made the adjustment until I went to Brother Rice. Jim had the job of ordinance at St. Gerard's. Where's that? That's uh, that's uh, off of Last Losser. In just uh, when you get into Detroit. Oh, okay. Area, St. Gerard's. He was the organist there. Brian was Brian's mother first started at Lasolet, and then the chain reaction of Brian going else. Well, Brian went to Lady of Refuge. Then Bill went from St. Columbus to Lasolet, and I went to Lasolet. That's how that that sequence happened. Let's listen to our big-hearted Teresa Maureen, number 16, and her later memories. How about memories of mother, like coming home from school or... Well, coming home from school, it was always wait and see, like you weren't really sure who you were going to come home to. She could be happy, she could be angry, she could just be all over the board. You didn't know what you were going to get when you got home. And then you had to adjust to her as you as, as it was. She just had so much to do and, and responsibility. It was, I don't know how she did it. I know that she had a lot of humor, a lot of strength. I could never be as strong as her, but that's how she influenced me. To be strong and never give up. We don't give up. You know, you got to have faith. She certainly had that. Love for dad, love of her children. She was an only child, that unto itself. People ask, what is it like being a one of 18? I want to say, what is it like to be an only child and then have 18? I can't even obviously comprehend it, what it would be like to be an only child. Her love of dad and her faith and her strength are things to admire, and they definitely influenced me to this day. True grit, both mom and dad, and our family did as well as it did because of our faith. So many more things could have happened that normally do in many families that didn't for us. But as far as being one of 18, it is an outrageous number. But remember that when we were growing up, everybody had at least seven or nine kids. So it was almost like our nine, the last nine kids of our family and their nine kids, it didn't really seem like, I don't know, outrageously big because we didn't all live in the house that long together. Yeah, I think it was just one year. You know, everybody had nine kids or seven kids. And so, I mean... There was definitely, we were noted as the Callahan family of 18 kids. 
Yeah. So, and we, and how about we never were able to eat or drink anything before communion? I mean, people forget. We really didn't. <laughs> we didn't. No meat on Friday. All these traditions. And that's what family, our family Catholic life has been. A lot of tradition. Yeah, we couldn't eat or drink anything on Sunday until we had communion. They sure do. And fasting and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I know it was the norm for you, but what do you? What was it like being like the 16th, if you think about it, out of 18? I think lucky. Because <laughs> I know the first nine had it really rough. I didn't feel like that I really knew my nine oldest brothers and sisters. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to. I knew they were my brothers and sisters, but no, they were, they, they were just not grow, like growing up like we you and i did how about as adults how, wow. how do you feel like your relationship with mom and dad and with our siblings changed our older siblings changed as we got older oh just you know being able to reach out and get their stories was a wonderful way of understanding what their life was like and not only through them i'm our own brothers and sisters but their spouses and their children i don't know it was just really great and even like with dad i didn't think i knew him at all until i got into my mid-20s or late 20s when he started to get calmer and more relaxed and you know he was just a great person to be around not so he didn't have as much respect he didn't and he wasn't as exhausted i mean that's what he was i can't even imagine all the work he did in in one day so how do you think dad most influenced you by strength I have to say both mom and dad, their, uh, their integrity, their true grit, they're willing to never quit. I mean, think of it, what if they had? But then again, a funny thing that mom said was, we 18 kids could have gotten together and gone against them. So there's that idea. <laughs> we never thought of it, Mary. Well, I was afraid of dad in the, in, in, the, in the way you would be because he was a strong disciplinarian. He was really, I mean, it was because of him that I didn't do a lot of things I may have done, for sure. Mom. You know, she was easier going in, in that respect if, if you did something wrong or whatever. She understood my flight of hating Marion, but it ultimately became my choice whether I was going to go to see home or not. And I, and that was smart. She made me make the choice because I had to own up to it and get through it. Yeah, come sophomore year. never knew she gave you a choice. Oh, yeah, because she never went to a Catholic school. But I got suspended for bringing a cat in school, and I didn't bring no cat in school. But I took the blame for, or Kathy Murphy did. She happened to be with me. <laughs> And she, I said she was my cousin from New York, and I knew it was Lynn Timlin that brought in the cat, whatever. She was going to get in big shit trouble, and I, Kathy Murphy took the hit. Well, I ended up getting suspended, and it was just like a, a one thing after another going on. At Marion, uh, Mom had to come and talk to the nuns because of this incident, and when we were driving home, she just said, if you really want to go to see home, you can. That was my, you know, I had to make that decision. So that was pretty cool. Oh, it was cool, because... Um, that was really cool. Yeah, I don't know how well that would have flown with Dad, but she gave me the option. She just, she definitely did. Never knew that. That it was, you know, she didn't go to any Catholic high school or all-girl thing and whatever. She she, she got it. She got it. She she understood that these nuns were on my nerves. Yeah, so all these disciplines that we took on at very young ages were very much a part of what Mom and Dad showed us. I don't think I would even, even I don't know, you figure you're 17 or, yeah, and we just think full-time and... No kids my age was do, were doing that, but you had to make your own way. In other words, if you were going to go to college, you had to make you had to find a way to do that. And mm -hmm. the expectation was to go to college. And it certainly was. And I wanted to. Right. Yeah, we all wanted to. That's the un unusual part, too, when you think about it. All 18 kids went to college. So that's the biggest thing I would say about being the 16th. You had all those people that told the line, you weren't about to break that. How did your uh, our Catholic indoctrination influence you all the you know church and education and holy name and mary how did that how has that formed you through all the traditions and things that you are uh, the catholics do on a yearly calendar those are still very important and the faith that they gave us through mom and dad and being a part of holy name have definitely stayed within my life for better or worse and it's a gift to have it you think twice about what, you know, all your decision-making is based on that, too. How do you think being one of 18 influenced you as a mother, you know, as parenting your kids? Don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, I wasn't uptight or whatever as far as their behavior or whatnot, but I did have difficulty disciplining. And we just discussed how that just wasn't in our, up, up our, in our rearing. 
we weren't disciplined and we just knew what to do because we didn't yeah because we didn't have to be so we had no tools i couldn't believe i was like when i would try to discipline and they would say no and throw a fit like what you know i was appalled and i didn't really i was a loss of what to do because we that wasn't yeah we would never do that that was not an error you know yeah yeah so it was a good way to become a parent I mean, it's always um, difficult in the beginning, but like, I guess it's such a joy to have your own children and raise them that there are certain, a lot of things that I took to heart in raising faith, this and that, and a lot of things that I wanted to avoid that I didn't want them to have that I had. Like? Unexpected expectations and, you know, buck up or whatever type attitude, which served me well as, you know, I have no regrets on that, but that is not what I wanted for my children. Yeah, I think I overdid it. But I think I went the other way. I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I think I just think uh, not. As but also, our children were—they're so stamped unto themselves. Right. We had really nothing to do with the way their personalities. You know what I mean? Right. Caitlin is Caitlin. Patty is Patty. Harold is Harold. Dreamy Harold and Emily the Wild. You know, so so much was out of our control. But I just—I I was certain that I was going to have high expectations on them. You know what I mean? I hated that part of it. Mm-hmm. Our rearing, it was necessary, but I wasn't. I don't know. I think also uh, the affection, you know, how could you be affectionate? They right, think they got no, that's old. true. I think I really wanted them to, not that I felt unloved. But no, but that's I so wanted true. Them to feel cherished and wanted. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's huge, <laughs> Mary, because it's true. Mom and Dad never were physically affectionate, never said I love you or, you know what I mean? We had the privilege of being able to do that for our kids. At night, she would worry about each kid. Right. And then it was just too much. Of course it would so, be. So, in a way. With each one, it would be raw. You would never get to sleep, I think. I think you should have some expectations and have your children rooted in traditions and all that. I just, a little bit, it was too much, especially dad. His expectations of us were mm-hmm. pretty high. Mm-hmm. And not, without even saying a word, mind you. <laughs> he really didn't. You give that Hogan look. That's the Hogan look. That's all you would get. Yes, that Hogan look. Oh, my God. You'd shape up, man. And that's why I'm so interested in the first nine, because that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. They had such demands. I have nothing to complain about, and yet I felt the pressure of the expectations like I'm sure anyone in our family did mm-hmm. but that discipline came right down and we we wouldn't mess the cart we didn't want to you know mom was too volatile could you imagine if we we had our own drama she couldn't handle it Mm-mm. no there wasn't room for it there wasn't there sure wasn't and thinking of Margaret she was our second mom as the older we got the better it, it, that example came she really really Filled that, filled in that whole spot. She really did. Yeah, she and did. And unconditional. Right. Oh, totally. She's... Where mom was conditional, she truly was. Yeah, we could all be, be easily replaced. She said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Played us off like cards. She did. She did. She was something. <laughs> and that seemed to get worse the older she got. I don't recall any of that. Obviously, that wouldn't have even happened growing up small at Manor. But yeah, she was something. She was a force. I remember and, the storms on me. Oh, I loved them. Yes. I That's loved one of my favorite memories. They are great. Sitting on the porch. Whether it was a, a thunderstorm or a winter storm, those big snowfalls, they were something else. And waking up. And they were so beautiful. Yeah, seeing everything covered in snow oh, was so cool. It really was. It was beautiful. Living five minutes from suburbia, but being living out in the country practically. Yes, that's pretty much what it was. Amazing. You could hear Woodward cars, but we had our own little, you know, Uh, oasis away from all of it. We will end now with a story that Teresa wrote, A Stormy Night, about Manor Road, which, within two years, will be our next really big move. You will note that our sister Teresa is a natural storyteller and her big heart, perceptive soul, and quiet wisdom are quite revelatory. Enjoy. It was a very hot day, 90 degrees and very humid, the kind of day you just don't know where to put your body. It seemed like the longest day ever. Dinner finally came, I was on KP. When the last dish was finally done, I sat down and made a phone call to a friend. 
I wasn't on 10 minutes and dad was giving me the scissors. I finished my call as fast as I could. We were making important decisions as to what pineapp concert we were going to next and with whom. I got off the phone and noticed the neighborhood clan was over playing kick the can on our front lawn, so I went out and joined the fun. I noticed the clouds were heavy and dark, but the trees weren't moving an inch. Someone said there was supposed to be a storm that night. We were all hoping for a change. We played until dark and went in with our clothes sticking to our bodies, not smelling very sweet. We all dashed for some homemade iced tea mom had made. Bridget was on to make popcorn because she made it the best. We all sat in the library, keeping very still, trying to cool down. The popcorn smelled great, and we finished a huge bowl in 10 minutes. As usual, a kissing scene came on TV, and Dad would walk in from the living room to say goodnight and ask, What are you watching on that idiot box? We mumbled something in embarrassment, and off to bed he went. It wasn't long when the first lightning came. You could hear thunder rolling in from a distance. The wind started to pick up, and it felt so good against the thick air. The smell of rain was in the air. The thunder was getting closer and louder with each flash, and the lightning came in bolts. You could see the trees swaying in great force when the lightning lit up the sky. We could hear a tree crack and fall to the ground, probably somewhere near the river. The brothers were trying to scare us girls, but I loved storms. I thought they were exciting. Suddenly, the TV went out, and there were no lights to be seen. The rain was pouring down, and we could only see by the light of the lightning. We found some candles and lit them in the living room, where we all gathered around Mom on the living room couch. Kevin went into the kitchen and got a dish towel and put it on his head as only Kevin would. He began to sing, May the Lord protect and defend you, rolling his eyes and waving his hands over the flame of the candles. We all joined in and with him and sang, May he always shield you from shame. May you come to be in paradise a shining name. May the Lord preserve you from pain. Favor them, O Lord, with happiness and peace. O hear our holy prayer. Which then broke into, to life, to life, lakayim. Be happy, be healthy, long life. The storm continued as we sang, and all of a sudden lights came on, and away it was a disappointment. We were having such fun. You could hear the thunder rolling away to another town, and we realized it was cooler now, and we could finally get a good night's sleep. So off to bed we went with the songs from Fiddler on the Roof singing in our heads. In our next episode, The Last Hurrah, you will meet the baby of the family, Bridget Louise, number 18, not just a number. And you will hear more stories about the move from Greenwood to our beloved Manor Road. Don't forget to check out our photo gallery at www.1of18notjustanumber.com.